Thank you so much for that. Take your Bible and find Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. Ephesians chapter 4. Hasn't it been a great day in Michigan? Man, nice weather, and you're in church tonight, and I'm so glad you are for the Family Conference 2017. You're in the right place. And we have guests tonight. We expected now you folks from Trinity. We're glad you're here, but we expected you. And uh, you folks that are guests, we're just really glad you came to join us. God bless you for doing it. It's been a great day, and you're in the right place. The music's been good tonight, hasn't it? I was a little worried about y'all. I think you were lying, though. You were singing that joy, 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 but you didn't look it. I was a little concerned. Maybe we had to have a service and get some things right first. But uh, be back now tomorrow night. I don't know if I've told you or not, but tomorrow night, Pastor's singing a solo. And uh, did I get that right, Pastor? Did I misunderstand that? I think you should. You should pray about that. And uh, uh, you have nice shoes. I, I got to tell you, you got shoes on. Them. Those shoes, the shoes, those would look good on evangelists. I just, I got to tell you, those are great shoes. And uh, check out his shoes before you leave tonight. He's looking good. And uh, I'm glad he's your pastor. This has been a good few days so far. I was thinking he announced there earlier about his son, you know, spilling the water. And I sat there when he told that and I thought, you know, if the only thing that kid ever does wrong is pour water on somebody else at the restaurant, he's going to be in pretty good shape, don't you think? And uh, hopefully that'll be the top of it. Hopefully he's hit the pinnacle and it's, it's all good from here. And uh, I don't know that I would hand that to you that easily, but that'd be great if that's all he ever does. But God bless you for joining us here tonight and investing in your home. And uh, here's, uh, here's what we're doing. We're talking about what does a happy Christian home look like anyway. And what we're doing is we're in Ephesians and we're applying Ephesians to our lives as well as to our homes. Before I read the text, let me mention the book table. I've uh, got just several things to show you tonight. Remember last night, one of the th- truths we emphasized was forgiveness. We have to learn to forgive and to forgive biblically and fully and freely and completely. And uh, my friend Harold Vaughn wrote the book, Forgiveness, How to Get Along with Everybody All the Time. And it's a simple read. It's not deep at all, but it's biblically accurate and practically on target and uh, well worth perhaps your reading. If you're like my family... One of the things we continually battle is having family devotions and finding a way to do it, being consistent with it. We work at it all the time. We look for ways that we add the Word of God to our lives. We say a verse before we say prayer at the table. We memorize a family verse every week, and we do that at the table. It helps us to get God's Word in our life. We memorize verses before we go to bed. And yet we try to have a family devotional every every day, sometime during the day, even if it's brief. And uh, Dr. Avon put together my family time with God as a tool to just help you with that. Has one page for every day of the year. And so you just open it to the day's date, has a prescribed verse or chapter or passage to read, and then it has a pre-written devotional, and it closes at the bottom with a little challenge, maybe a song to sing, or it asks a question of the family to answer, or a project to do. And, of course, you don't have to do all the projects and things, but it's a tool. And that's on the table. And you young parents, you know, you'd like to have family devotions, but life's busy and you find it hard. Let this be a blessing to you. Ladies, my wife recommends for ladies Terry Chappell's book, The Choice is Yours. Life happens, but walking with God is a decision. That's what this book is about. And then here's the newest book on the table. I finished this book a couple of months ago and profited greatly from it and promptly put it on the table. It's by my friend Carrie Schmidt. It's called Live Lighter and Love Better. 
And it's 12 biblical decisions for a meaningful life. And it's based on the 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. A man that was materialistic and had it all and lived what we might say the American dream. I mean, he had everything he could want. Had he lived in our generation, he would have owned every iPhone the moment it came out. And he would have had the latest MacBook and the latest iPad. And he would have bought the latest house and driven the nicest cars. But none of those things that he had in his generation satisfied. And Dr. Schmidt, Brother Schmidt, lays out from the book of Ecclesiastes 12 decisions that every one of us ought to make, that if we'll make them, will lead us to have a meaningful and worthwhile life. I have enjoyed this book a lot. And so if that'll be a blessing to you, then uh, you let it be. All right? Hey, uh, God bless you for joining us. Aren't you, aren't you glad to be in church on a Monday night? Isn't this great? And your kids are over there with Brother Micah. Isn't that super? Tavian's over there. How many of y'all know Tavian, do you? I had a good conversation with him last night uh, while y'all were in that short ushers meeting. I, uh, had, I sat out in the lobby with Tavian and I said, hey, talk to me, buddy. I said, are you married? And he said, no, I'm not an adult yet. And I said, well, when you get married, are you going to marry a pretty girl or an ugly one? And he goes, I haven't made up my mind yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought, well, that's great. I like that kid. Have a conversation. Ask him some questions. It'll brighten your day. Uh, and, and just a super little guy. I like talking to him. I'm in Ephesians 4 verse 1. If you're there, say amen. All right, verse 1. Now, here's what Paul's doing. You remember this, don't you? He's transitioning from the doctrinal. We might say orthodoxy if we were in seminary. And he's transitioning to the practical, or you might call it orthopraxy if you wanted to be theological. But he's just making a practical application. Now you're saved. You're on your way to heaven because salvation's by grace, through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. He's been explaining all of that to us. I'll come back to that at the end of the sermon because I want you to know you're going to heaven. And now he's transitioning. Now that I'm a, a believer, now that I know Jesus, now that, that the Spirit of God indwells me, and now that I know the Lord, here's what he says. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now that's introduce, introducing to us the last half of the book. You're saved now, aren't you? Most of you, maybe all of you. You're on your way to heaven. God's called you. You were called by God to live the Christian life. You are. You're to, you're to succeed. And God's on your side. That's why he gives you the Holy Spirit. That's why he gives you the Word of God. That's why he gives you a church. That's why he gives you a pastor. It's why he gives you brothers and sisters to bear your burdens and to provoke you to love and good works. It's why we assemble together and we don't forsake the assembling together because we need to grow. We need to be together and support one another and encourage each other and walk together and, and, and believe the believer that God wants us to be. Now, I hope you're growing because you're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. One of the things he makes clear in Ephesians is that I'm not just called to live a successful Christian life, I'm called to have a successful home. I'm to have a successful family. God wants that for you. God wants you to have a great marriage. How many of you are married tonight? Let me see your hand. God wants you to have a great marriage. I'm going to transition the next couple of nights and, and really zero in on some Bible applications to marriage. And then transition the end of the week, real practical about raising your children 
But right now, we're trying to get us right so that we can have a home that's what it ought to be. That's what I'm trying to do. So God calls you to have a great Christian home. Happy marriage, happy children, obedient children, a godly home. The people in your neighborhood ought to know that's a Christian home. Look at the way they live. Look at the way they treat each other. That's a Christian family. It's important to be a testimony to the world that Christianity is real in the home. It's important. You're to walk worthy. Am I making sense here? Have I said this enough? Are y'all picking up what I'm trying to teach you here? And then he transitions to verse 17 with the same idea with a greater application. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that she henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but she've not so learned Christ. Do you see what he's trying to say? You're, you're not in the world any longer. You're a child of God. You're saved. The world lives the way they do because they don't know any better. Don't be so hard on them. I mean, there's reasons to be hard on them, but they're living the way they ought to live. That's how they've been taught to live. That's all they know. But you haven't learned Christ that way. You're a child of God. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. And God wants you to have a happy Christian home. And the world doesn't know how to do that, but you're to learn how to do it. You're to have one of those. You are to put off, these next verses are going to tell us, verse 22, you're to put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful laws. You're to be renewed in the spirit of your mind in verse 23. And in verse 24, you're to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And how many of you are aware of the fact this is a lifelong process? Are you aware of that? I'm a preacher. I've been preaching for 25, almost 30 years now. Started when I was a teenager. And I'm still growing. The Lord keeps showing me areas. You ever go to God and say something like this, Lord, is there anything in my life that ought to be changed or corrected or improved? You ever go to God and pray that? It's the most amazing thing in the world. Every time I do, he has something in mind. He'll show me an area. Boy, you could be a better husband if you were like that. You could be a better dad if you'd correct this. Boy, you've dropped the ball right there. You need to work on that. All of us are growing. All of us are. Don't, don't, don't get nervous to be around Dave Young and think, oh my word, oh my word. What's he going to think if he really, well, I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to think you're a lot like me. You got work to do. You got to grow. You got to put off that old man. You got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You got to put on the new man. And notice, sometimes we got to change our thinking. That's what he says, isn't it? I got to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. Sometimes I can fall into a rut and what I'm doing is just wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. But I, I'm not even thinking that way. But I go to the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and starts working in my thinking. And I realize, boy, i got to pick that up. i got to change that. And so here's what we've been doing. We've been saying, okay, Lord, what have I got to put off? What have I got to put on? What does a happy Christian family look like anyway? Should we review just briefly? Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. What does a happy Christian home look like? It's a place of humility gentleness, patience, love, and peace. That was Sunday school. How many of you were in Sunday school? Do you remember that? That was Sunday school. We all had to talk about something there. Lord, you got to help me with this. It's humility. Or Lord, you got to help me with my gentleness or my patience. We all had to talk about something. Sunday morning, we went to verse 25. And we talked about a happy Christian home as a place of honesty. 
It's a place of honesty. Verse 26 and 27, it's a place without anger. I'm overcoming my old man. I'm, I'm not blowing up and flying off the handle and losing my temper and throwing stuff and yelling at my kids. I'm controlling my temper in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we learn that it's a place of edification. No corrupt communication, not sarcasm, belittling, tearing down, ridiculing, biting on each other but that which is good to the use of edifying. We're building up. We're ministering grace. Last night, we came back to that verse. A happy Christian home is a place where grace is ministered. All of us have weakness. Don't you men? Aren't you glad when your wife ministers grace to you? And and, and men, that's what you do to your wife. You're to minister grace. You're to serve her grace. We're to do that to our children. We're to minister grace. We're to give it lavishly not tear down. Remember what I taught you? If any man among us seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue. Remember that verse? We looked at each other. Remember that? And we agreed. Boy, we look religious. And don't we tonight? It's Monday night and we're in church. How religious can you get for crying out loud? And some of you even dressed up. I mean, you're, you're like over the top religious. Look at us. Here we are in church. And James said, if you seem to be religious, but you can't control this tongue of yours, he said, your religion is vain. It's like bubbles. You you ever seen children's bubbles? You ever seen those? You dip the little wand in there and you blow. You ever seen those? Aren't they beautiful? Come on, talk talk to me, aren't they? If you see bubbles, don't you don't you want to like catch one? I mean, I mean, don't you look? Don't you stop and all look at those bubbles? And it's the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, they're useless. They're pretty, but they have no value. That's the word vain. When I, when I go to church and carry my Bible and even dress up, but my tongue at home is tearing down and belittling and sarcastic and I'm biting and I'm harsh, what we learned was our religion's empty. Just like a bubble. Oh, isn't that pretty? But it has no substance. Makes no difference has no value. One of the things James is saying there is that if I claim to be religious and yet my tongue isn't in line, you know what he's saying? I'm not as religious as I thought I was. That's a little harsh, isn't it? But notice how simple having a Christian home is. I mean, I'd like to come in here and say, I'm going to give you five steps tonight. Do these five steps and I can guarantee you that everything in your home will be perfect. But I, I can't give you five easy steps, but I can tell you, here's what the Bible says. You've got to have humility and gentleness and patience and love and peace if you're going to have a happy home. And, and you've got to have honesty and, and you've got to control your temper and, and the Holy Spirit's got to help you to overcome that. You've got to edify. We came last night, you've got to minister grace. We learned last night there's got to be kindness in your home. And we learned last night that you've got to have forgiveness in your home. Now tonight, we're going to chapter 5. And I'm going to show you three more truths tonight in chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 5. What does a happy Christian home look like? And we'll find the first one tonight in verse 2. Let's read verse 1, and then we'll read verse 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Read the next four words out loud in verse 2. You ready? Read them with me, everybody. And walk in love. One more time. Everybody get them. And walk in love. All right? Now, here's the... Here's the truth I want to show you tonight. You ready for this? A happy Christian home is a place of... Now, we've already learned that in Sunday school. But it is so important, he came back to it again in chapter 5. 
As I walk my Christian life, I'm to walk in the Spirit. I'm to be filled with the Spirit. I'm to learn the Word of God. And as I do, you all help me tonight. The fruit of the Spirit is, is love. Jesus said to us, remember this? Jesus said, they, they said to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you remember? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, thy strength. And they didn't ask, but he added one more. And he said, the second greatest commandment is just like it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that sure sounds pretty, and it's a nice thing to memorize and to say, but it really matters in your home. Do you love God? Are you walking in love? Do you love God? Is he first in your life? Now, if you love your spouse, would this not be obvious? If you love, if you, if you can honestly say, I love my spouse, would it also be safe to say that she's first? W- would it? My, my wife, my sweetheart, she dated other guys before she met me. She did. A wimps. <laughs> now, they're nice guys, and I'm friends with some of them, but they don't exist anymore. Because she married the man. Y'all follow where I'm going here? I'm number one. She loves me now. You know what my wife calls me? (laughs) I shouldn't tell you this. She calls me handsome hunk of man. You can just call me Dave. Because that'd sure be weird, wouldn't it? But see, I'm number one. Do you love God? Is he first in your life? Is it evidence and evident in your finances that God is first? Is it evident in, um, dare I say it, your faithfulness? Is God first? Do you love Him? We're to walk in love. In your home, is it obvious that love is there because you love God first? It's your first, I love God. Love Him with all of my heart. You can see it in what we do, our finances. We love God. He's first in our finances. And he's first in our faithfulness. In our family, uh, because we love God and because he's first, church isn't an option. We always go. Go to Sunday school. Go Sunday morning. Go Sunday night. We go Wednesday night. In fact, we've gone so overboard about it that that's the priority. One of the reasons my children work at the Chick-fil-A they work at when they're home in the summers is because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. That's why. There's other places that would pay more money. But God's first in our life. We want church to be the priority. Is God first in yours? Now, we can go a long way with that if we're not. If we had more time, couldn't we? Because we're a generation that will put a lot of things first over God. Would that be obvious in some of your homes? I don't want to go to meddling and damage somebody's spirit tonight. But I will tell you, you better be on guard that you are walking in love. And it starts with you loving God. That's got to be a priority in your family. I, I know our generation in the United States of America thinks nothing. Handle this wisely and ask God to give you wisdom. Thinks nothing about loving hobbies over God. Is this okay to say and talk about even sports? Now, I love sports. I love football. I'm a big football fan. I love the Tennessee Vols. 
I, uh, I love the Denver Broncos. I love football. I enjoy sports. It's not our priority because God's more important than that. You, you, do, you know why, do you know why 35 years ago there were no ball games on Sunday? You know why? Because nobody would have been there. Because God was first. Now that, that's, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But I am telling you, you've got to show your family that God is first. My friend evangelist Dave Korn was on my team. And uh, Brother Korn, when he was in high school, was in a public high school and played baseball. And he was an excellent baseball player. In fact, four of the number one baseball players on his team were from his youth group and his church in Ponca City, Oklahoma. And they went his senior year all the way to the state championship. That's a big deal, isn't it? All the way to the state championship. The final game was scheduled. Final game. You know when? Nope. Wednesday night. So that's an easy one, isn't it? I got just Wednesday night. Now, I, I want to say I respect Dave Korn for this reason. Dave Korn's in a public school. He's a star baseball player. The final game of the final uh, biggest event of his sports life is this Wednesday night. But he's made a commitment to God at a youth camp that God was first. That he was going to love the Lord above all else. So now he's got a quandary. What are you going to do, Dave? Well, here's what most of us would have said. Well, you used to play ball because it's just Wednesday night. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I want you to think. But David and his friends had made a commitment. God is first above everything. So David prayed about it. God, what should I do? And David felt that the Spirit of God was leading him to put God first. So here's what he did went to his coach and he said coach me and my buddies here go to Central Baptist here in Ponca City you know and we're Christians and Christianity is real to us and nothing is more important to us than our relationship to God and so we can't play Wednesday night because we made a commitment to our youth group we're leaders in the youth group that God is first so we can't be here that's hard. By the way, the state of Oklahoma actually changed the schedule because four boys took a stand. They played the game, but not on Wednesday night. Now, I, I don't know what it ought to be for you. What would it be in your life that's more important than God? You're to walk in love. A happy Christian home is a place of love. And sometimes we want to make that sappy. Well, I love my children. But it's also practical and spiritual. God is first. I'm to love him with all of my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind. And I'm to love others as myself. Do you have evidence in your life that you love God and you love others? Is there evidence? My dad, my dad was a, 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 never had a high school diploma. He, he dropped out of school. His family were poor as dirt and... And, and my dad doesn't have an education. My dad's one of the wisest men I know. He can do anything. But he doesn't have an education. When I was a boy, when I was a boy, uh, some things I miss, you know. We just did things. 
my dad, I realized the older I get, was a man that really did love others. I was in a revival recently in Tullahoma, Tennessee, and I met a young man who's 30. He drove down from Nashville two hours to that service. Last time I saw him, he was a teenager. Now he's married. He's got a job in Nashville. He's 30 years old. And I introduced him to my friend Micah Self, who's over there preaching to your children. I said, Brother Micah, here's a young man I knew back in Tennessee in Wartburg where I grew up. And, and this is Brother Snodley. And Brother Snodley, this is evangelist Micah Self. And I introduced him. And Brother Snodley talked to Micah for a few moments. And then he said to Brother Micah, he said, do you know Brother Dave's mom and dad? And uh, Brother Micah said, oh, yeah, I know Brother and Sister Young. And he said uh, to Micah, Brother Snodley said to Micah, Brother and Sister Young are some of my favorite people. And it kind of caught me off guard. And I, you know, I, I was standing nearby and I heard him say that. And kind of, you know, why would he say that? I, we don't even really know them. I mean, I just knew who they were. They went to church with us. And he said to Micah, he said, my dad was a missionary. And we came home on furlough. And he said, uh, it just got tough. We didn't have any place to live. And somebody let us move into this old farmhouse for the winter. And we didn't have the money to buy heat. And we, were, we, we barely had groceries. And we had gone somewhere one week to preach. And they didn't even give us an offering. And we came back. We barely made it home. And we didn't have any money. And, and my parents were worried. And we kids were worried. And my dad said, uh, kids, we really need to pray. He said, because you know, we don't have anything to heat the house with. And it's getting really cold out. And he said, it was a really down time for our family. And he said, we drove back and got there. And on the afternoon, after driving all night and a day, and we pulled up in the yard of that old farmhouse, and he said to Micah, Brother Dave's dad was in our yard. And he had a truck and a wagon loaded down with firewood. And he was stacking it by the house. And here's a guy in his 30s in Nashville, Tennessee, came down to Tullahoma to see me, and he got tears in his eyes. He said to Micah, that day, I saw that Christianity was real. And I'm just telling you, moms and dads, this is what he's talking about here. Walking in love is, is not just about going to church and sitting in a pew. and, and, and all. It's also about living a Christian life where our children see, wait, Christianity is real in the way my mom and dad treat others. It's real to them. I've got to walk in love if I'm going to have a Christian home. It also is practical in how you treat your family. Walking in love means that I, I am led of the Spirit and I'm aware of your needs. As a husband, I'm to walk in love. I'm to be aware of my wife's needs. You know, sometimes my wife, my, my wife and I sometimes have disagreements. Would that surprise you? Sometimes she's wrong. I mean, it's just amazing how that happens. And, and sometimes my wife just wants to share something with me and she'll just unload. Is your wife that way? She just, I mean, lets it out. She unloads and I'm a man. And so I listen and I got the answer. Honey, this is what you do. You do this and this and this, take care of that problem. And now she's mad at me and I don't know why. And the spirit of God helped me not long ago to realize I'm to love my wife. I'm not to straighten everything up in her life. I'm to meet her needs. And, and sometimes she needs to share all these emotions that are jumbled up in her heart and she needs to share them with her man. And rather than me try to straighten her out, what she needs is me to love her. I need to, I need to hug her. Sometimes I just, my daddy's good at it. My, my dad will sit, my mom's a yacker and she's a worrier. Any of you ladies that way? My, my mom, she just worries. Oh my goodness. What are we going to do? I mean, she just worries all the time. And my dad will just listen. He just sit. They always drink coffee together. 
We buy them nice coffee mugs and turbis cups, but they went to a yard sale and they found these hospital plastic mugs that keep your coffee warm. And that's what they drink their coffee out of. It's my parents. They love yard sales. My parents love to buy things people don't want that they don't need. They love yard sales. They got these old brown coffee mugs and they drink coffee together. And my mom will just unload and my dad, he'll go, well. That's all he says. Well. Sometimes you go, they. <laughs> I have no idea what it means. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to walk in love, meet her needs. He listens to her because he loves her. Are you, are you aware of the needs of your spouse? Are you walking in love? Parent, kids, are you aware of the needs of your parents? Some of you kids are so self-focused, you're not aware of the needs of your parents. Well, when's the last time you thought, you know, my dad's a little discouraged and I ought to try to encourage him. And because you were walking in the spirit and walking in love, you went to your dad and said, Dad, I just want you to know that I really am thankful that you're my daddy. My daughter left a note on my desk the other day and she wrote at the top and she said in, in her little cursive handwriting, she said, Daddy, I'm going to marry somebody just like you. Oh, I, I thought to myself, she can't do no better than that. <laughs> you know, and, and because she's my daughter, I mean, I hate to say that I thought that, but I'm worried about who she's going to marry. Isn't that fair? I'm worried about it. In this culture, I'm worried. I live in Florida and I have a right to carry. Just because I have a daughter that's going to marry some guy. And I told my daughter, honey, you be careful who you date. You don't want daddy to go to jail. And, and, and you know, you'd feel badly if I had to spend the rest of my life in jail because of who you were dating. You don't want that. And, and so we can't do that, you know. But see, the point I'm making is we're to walk in love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. How will my sons and daughters know that I am a follower of Jesus? Not by my standards. He doesn't mention that because you can have standards. I'm going to say this gently, and I'm probably more strict than most of you. So if you're taking this as a statement that Dave Young doesn't believe in standards, you're wrong. Because I'm probably more strict than almost all of you, maybe than any of you. But I want to tell you, you can have all the standards in the world and be a first-class jerk. You can. You can, I'm telling you, we don't listen to anything. All of our music sounds like this. Because we are very spiritual. We can be as strict as the day is long and not love God. You can have dress standards where you, I mean, you, you are strict. Your skirts go to your toenails, brother. Because you can have all the standards in the world and still not walk in love. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. If your home is not characterized by love, where you love God and you love others and you love the members of your family and you minister love to them and you, you're aware of their needs and, and, and you're, you're, you're cognizant of, boy, this is my wife's need. This is my husband's need. This is my son's need. My, my daughter needs me right now to do this. And I'm aware of how can I serve you and meet you. If I'm not walking in love, then I don't have the Christian home I ought to have. Am I making sense tonight? So how are you doing? I'm asking you again. Grandparents, would your grandchildren see evidence in your life and at your house and in your marriage and in the way you treat others, would your grandchildren see evidence 
that you're a real, genuine Christian? Daddy, mom, sons and daughters, would your parents be able to look at you and see evidence by your walking in love that you're the real deal, that you're a genuine believer? I'm not trying to be a liberal or not. I'm telling you what the Bible says. If you're going to follow God, he says, walk in love. So what in the world does a happy Christian family look like? It's a place of love. Now, I've got to tell you, the next one is huge. The next one is awkward. The next one is tough. The next one I don't like preaching on, but it is absolutely, vitally important. Look at verses 3 and 4 of our text. Chapter 5 of Ephesians. And the Bible says these words. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And here's here's what I'm saying. Those verses teach us that a happy Christian home ought to be a place of purity. No fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting, none of that that garbage, none of that, but a place of purity. It's a big one, isn't it? It's a big one for our generation. Huge. Um, Goodness, what what could we talk about here? Well, we, we... we, we could talk about TV and the Internet. Those things aren't wrong. I love technology, don't you? I mean, isn't it, isn't it, forgive me, isn't it kind of cool that you can see my outline on a screen? It's, it, it, it's not every church does that, but when you can, it's helpful. It's technology. And it's, it's easy to follow. It's easy to see it. It even kind of wakes you up a little bit. You can get a little drowsy, and I switch screens, and people look up. It's technology. Nothing wrong with technology. Television's just technology. You remember, any of you old enough to remember, a lot of you have been saved a long time. Anybody here old enough to remember how that years ago, preachers would often preach that you shouldn't even have a TV? Anybody here remember that, or is that just me? I was raised down south in the country churches, and I, the night, I was in kindergarten the night my daddy got saved, and the night my dad got saved, the preacher said that it was wrong to have a television. That's what he called it, a television, he said. My dad got saved on a Monday night in a revival service the year I was in kindergarten and drove home that night. And you know what he did? He threw away our television. My dad didn't even get baptized. He didn't even join the church yet. He hadn't even even started reading his Bible yet. He hadn't even had a prayer life. Never been a soul winner yet. He skipped all of that and went to the throw away your television stage of Christianity. Like in one night, why don't we start with baptism? That's a, that'd be a little easier, wouldn't it? No, I mean, throw away the television. I remember hearing preachers preach that. And you know, no, no, none of us do. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt us not as heaven as a televisionist. So it wouldn't be right to say that, would it? It's just a tool. It's probably okay, though, isn't it, that we tolerate television as much as we do? Because see, back in those days, back when they preached that, you know, you shouldn't even own one, TV was really bad. I mean, back then, you know, because back then it was really bad. And, you know, now it's not as bad as it used to be. I mean, you know, they had really bad language back then, didn't they? And I mean, the scenes back then were horrible. 
You had a drunk on Andy Griffith that locked himself in a cell. I mean, how wicked can you get for crying out loud? That's how bad it was. No wonder they said get rid of the televisions. But it's not nearly that bad today. I mean, for crying out loud, today there's not nearly as much bad language. There's not nearly as much sexuality, not nearly as much nudity. It's not so bad that we tolerate five and six and seven and eight hours of TV a day in the average home. Or is it? Now, see, I don't know what you ought to do, but I think you ought to apply the Bible. You're saved. You ought to say, Lord, are we walking in purity in our home? Are we guilty of tolerating movies in our home that violate your word? Lord, am I guilty of of having a steady diet of negative news and I'm so down and I'm so discouraged and I'm so distraught that I haven't had the joy of the Lord in the last 300 years. that be you? A lot of Christians are that way today. Fundamental Baptist Church, we sit and watch Sean Hannity and turn on the radio and listen to Rush Limbaugh and we got all the news. We know everything going on and we're so bothered and we're so uptight and our blood pressure's up and we're worried to death and we're concerned about ISIS and Hillary and Trump and Bernie Sanders and the Supreme Court and I'm telling you we're down and we're discouraged and we act like God's dead. Is it worth it? We're to be pure. We're not to let the things of the world destroy us. Here, here's some stats for you. I... I uh, just put it on the screen for you. The average eight-year-old in the United States of America spends eight hours every day on media. The average teen spends 11. And I read today, and looked it up just to see if I had it right. Today, over 80% of the teenagers have a smartphone. And I want to go on record as saying, we're in terrible trouble. I own one. So I'm not against them. But I wouldn't give one of these to my kids if you paid me a million dollars. I just won't do it. Now, especially, especially if it's unfiltered. I'm amazed at how many parents hand one of these to their children. You know what you might as well do? Might as well go to an adult bookstore and buy yourself a stack of pornographic magazines and set on their desk in their room. Because that would be safer than handing them this. If it's unfiltered. I'm not trying to be mean. I mean that I'm telling you. We are losing a generation. Because in our families. We are not living pure lives. And there was a day. Some of you older guys. There was a day. Where you could get by. Without saying hardly anything. To your kids about this kind of stuff. But that day's gone. We don't live in that day anymore. We give 80% of our teenagers. A, uh, a smartphone. That is connected. To the world wide web. And I'll show you a stat in just a moment. Um, every 39 minutes in the United States of America, a brand new pornographic video is added to the internet. Every 39 minutes, a brand new one. I'm simply saying, moms and dads, we're wondering why are we losing the Christian homes in this generation? Well, it could be that we're not walking in love, but it also could be we're not walking in purity. And dad, it starts with me and you. We can't expect our kids to be pure if we're sitting in front of a television and, and, and there's immodesty all over our screens and we just stare at it and, and, and ogle it. 
We will watch. We have a television. We don't have cable. We don't have satellite. And we don't have an antenna. We own an antenna. But to watch TV at my house, here's what you have to do. You have to put the antenna up. You have to run the cord through the window. Take the screen out. Raise the window. Run a cord through the window. Down the side of the wall. In the back of the TV. We hook it up on purpose if we're going to watch TV. And then we unplug it when we're done. That's how we do it in our family. And we'll watch football game. We love football. We'll watch football game. And... And, and even watching a football game, we're trying to walk in purity. Sarah's a cheerleader, and she's beautiful, but she's also dressed immodestly. So I've taught my boys, Job 31.1. I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why would I think on a maid? Can't do that. Boys, dial 311. That's how we say it. Dial 311. Look away, look away, look away, look away. Hey, look, look down, look down. We go to the mall. We go to the mall. We dial 311. You walk by Victoria's Secret, you better dial 311 if you want to be godly. We help each other with it. When you leave my house, you get down the interstate, you turn right on the interstate like you're going to Pensacola. I live in Milton, Florida, and you head towards Pensacola. The next exit, I'm the Baghdad exit. The next exit is, is Avalon. When you get to the Avalon exit, if you were to take the Avalon exit, there's a billboard on the right side of the road that has a girl in a bathing suit. She's immodest. So the boys and I help each other. On this side of the road is the Red Roof Inn. It's also a Red Roof Inn. You can be big old sign. So we drive, we start getting near that curb, and somebody will say in my van, hey, look at that Red Roof Inn sign. Isn't that cool? Isn't that the nicest Red Roof Inn sign you've ever seen? What are we doing? We're dialing 311 because we're trying to have a home that's a place of purity. A family that walks in purity. You follow me tonight, church? It's important in our generation. Moms and dads, I want to be up front with you and frank with you. And, and you won't be able to see this, but I put it on the screen so that I could see it. And, and here it is. Every second in the United States of America, 28,258 users watch pornography on the Internet. Every second in the United States of America, $3,075.64 is spent on the Internet viewing pornography. Every second... 372 people are typing the word adult into search engines. 40 million American people regularly visit pornographic sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. 25% of all search engine queries are related to pornography or about 68 million search queries every day in the United States. One third of those viewers are women. Search engines get 160,000 queries every day related to child pornography. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure. They weren't trying to see something. It happened of pornographic content through an ad, a pop-up ad, a misdirected link, or an email from a person they didn't know. 2.5 billion Emails are sent or received every day that contain pornography. Almost a third of the population of the world in emails. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is created in the United States. And I'm simply saying tonight, moms and dads, you and I have to win this. Watch this. The modern business is a $90 billion a year business. Who's their number one viewer? 
12 to 17 year olds. 12 to 17 year olds make up the largest population age group that views garbage on the internet. The average age of first exposure in America is 11. Here's what I'm saying. There's probably a man in this room tonight, maybe a lady, that battles this very issue. And can I suggest to you, it's so important, my dear friend, that you start taking steps to conquer that sin in your life. Say, Dave, it's a battle. Every time I get on the Internet, throw away your TV. Throw away your computer. Get rid of your smartphone. My kids have a dumb phone. You know those, don't you? They're the flip phones. We call them a dumb phone. We laugh about it. Now my kids that are in college, when they got to college, the college they attend, the professors do everything on apps. My son got to college and missed some very important meetings because everybody else had the app and he didn't have it. So I bought him his first iPhone. I went under the general settings and went to restrictions and put in a restriction code, has no access to YouTube and no access to Safari. He can get the internet on his phone. He can't download apps. I block downloading apps. If he wants an app, he has to come to me. I type in the passcode, download the app, and then shut the app store back down. He can get on the internet just like I do, same way I do. This is my phone, and I have a little bar down here in the corner. It's a little eyeball. The only way I can get on the internet on this phone is through that little eyeball. It's called Covenant Eyes. I pay 15 bucks a month. My kids have covenant eyes. My iPhone or my MacBook that you're looking at right there has, has covenant eyes. My iPad, my iPad's over there, has covenant eyes. My wife's computer has covenant eyes. We use covenant eyes, which means that it filters. It's a protection. And not only that, it's accountability. My son, his, his use of his phone, I get an email every three days that alert me to everything he's seen. I do the same thing. My wife, my wife gets mine. She called me today, texted me, texted me today and said, hey, honey, I just got your covenant eyes report and it has one item on it that it says covenant eyes blocked. And it did. It was a news report. There was a news site. It was a news story that I was looking up, researching a sermon illustration and I clicked on that news site and covenant eyes blocked. I don't know why they blocked it. Must have had something on it that, that signaled this is not a good site. Shut it down. I never saw the site because Covenant Eyes wouldn't let me open it. But my wife got a report that I tried to. Micah self got that same report. Because he and I are partners in this matter. You know why? Because I want to have purity in my life and in my home. And I've come to this family conference to challenge you to do the same. Moms and dads, you are absolutely responsible in the sight of God to be careful what your children see on a television. Two-thirds of young people in the United States of America have a private TV in their bedroom. And I'm going to say it as gently as I know how. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because you turn the television on and try, you can see garbage. You don't even have to try sometimes. I've turned the television on twice in recent months in a motel room. My wife and I were staying in Chicago, Illinois. We were speaking at a couple's retreat at First Baptist Church of Hammond. And, and we were at a really nice motel. And I spoke 13 times. And she spoke two times. And man, it was busy. 
three days of preaching and teaching on the home and the family. And, and, and I went back to the motel room. We're at the conference. We didn't even leave the conference center. I walked out of the conference. We got a cup of coffee. Went back to our motel room. And she went into the restroom. And I almost never turn a TV on. But I did. But I'm just going to relax. Just see if something. It's in the afternoon. I reached down in this motel, turned on a television with a remote control, and it was open nudity. I, I couldn't believe it. I just turned it on. I didn't even try. I, 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 wouldn't, I wasn't in an adult bookstore. I was just going to relax and watch something, see what's on. And you say, well, Dave, that's an extreme case. I hope so. But I fear that it's not as extreme as we want to think it is. So I'm simply saying tonight, you want to have a godly, happy Christian home, you've got to pursue purity. So it matters what you watch on television. It matters what's in your DVD collection. And it certainly matters what you do with the Internet. Uh, moms and dads, if you've got an Internet at your house, put a filter on it and pay whatever you have to do to do, pay it. Just pay, pay it, pay it, find it, research it, figure it out. If your kids have an iPad, you better shut down. You better restrict things on it. You better shut down the App Store. You better be careful about iTunes. You better be careful about Kindle. I'm telling you, this generation, by, by the way, here's how I say it. Catch this. Pornography today is accessible because it's free. Uh, or because it's, it's, it's on the internet. It's affordable because you can get it free. It's anonymous because you take a phone, you can hide it. The privacy of a bedroom, in a car, at a friend's house. We don't, we don't let our kids spend the night at other people's houses. Because many of the homes that my kids have friends in that house... They have open access to the Internet. And I don't want my nine-year-old spending a night at somebody's house and seeing stuff on the Internet that she's not yet prepared to even understand, let alone see. So you got to walk in purity. Now, I don't know what you ought to do. For us, we've gone overboard. We have covenant eyes. My teenage son, my my 17-year-old has a flip phone. My 14-year-old has a flip phone. You can text on it. You can call on it. Has no access at all to the internet. Why? Because I want to have a Christian home that is pure. I want my son, my daughter to be protected from the garbage of this world. I'm responsible. And moms and dads, so are you. Grandparents, I want to say something. Listen carefully. Because some of you grandparents have access to the internet at your house. And you don't know because you just use it for banking maybe. Or maybe to post a Facebook post. But I counseled a young man recently. And boy, he was heavily addicted to pornography. And I said, uh, son, where did this start? Because I, I line out. Try to find out where it started. Because sometimes it's an abusive matter that needs to be dealt with legally. Or, and I'm, I'm asking questions. This counseling situation. And, and he said, well, my mom and dad never had access to the internet. And I, because I had said, was it at home? And I'm trying to coach him a little bit. And he said, no, it was at my grandparents' house. Because they, they didn't understand the internet, he said. And so they'd let me play games on the computer. And when they weren't around, I found out that there were some sites I could look up. And that's how I got addicted to pornography. Moms and dads, grandfathers and grandmothers, this is not the same kind of pornography that was available when you were younger. This is, this is digital and digital pornography. I, I read an atheist site the other day, and I got to close. I read an atheist site the other day that said we ought to get rid of pornography because our brains have not developed fully enough evolutionarily to handle pornography. 
in this generation. That was an atheist. We've got to get rid of it because our brains haven't evolved far enough to handle it. And I will say to you, it never will. Nobody is strong enough, wise enough, able enough to handle it. So we've got to walk in purity. So I ask, how are you doing? Would there be somebody in the building tonight that ought to repent? God, it's me. I'm such a failure in this area. Grace is available if you'll humble yourself. And if you'll get in the word of God and you'll memorize God's word and start walking in the spirit, you can overcome it. You can be free. You can be free. The word of God and the spirit of God can set you free from internet pornography. If you're a teenager and you're battling it, you don't know what else to do, write me. I'll help you. Get my prayer card on the table and send me a Facebook message and I'll get you started down a path to victory because you can have it. Don't be beat up tonight. Leave with victory. And here's the last thing. And, 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 and you, you saw the word in verse, um, verse 4, didn't you? But rather giving of what? Thanks. It's a place of gratitude. Uh, you find that again. Let me get my glasses so I can see it. It's down in verse, uh, where is it here? In verse, um, there's one more verse here and I didn't write it. Oh, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm out of time and we've got to rescue Micah. But you know that a happy Christian home is a place of gratitude, don't you? It is. Look at this. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Does gratitude mark your home as a Christian home? How often do you say to your spouse, thank you, honey, for the hard work you do. Thank you, sweetheart, for that meal. You're an amazing cook. Thank you for taking care of the laundry. Thank you, Daddy, that you pay for me to go to a Christian school. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Watch this, and I'm done. It ought to be modeled, which means you've got to model it. Are you a thankful person? Isn't it easy to complain? This old car of mine, it's five years old and got 40,000 miles on it, and I'm mad about it. And shame on me. Are you thankful for the house you live in? Aren't y'all blessed? Talk to me. And aren't we often griping and complaining about it? You ought to model it. You ought to mentor it. Say to my kids all the time, did you tell mom thank you for that meal? Here's what we say. Mom, thank you for the meal and I love you. That's that's the, the young household. Thank you for the meal and I love you. Thank you, I love you. We say that a lot. Thank you, thank you. I tell my kids, say it to each other. My kids, my kids will say it to each other. And, and one day I said to my son, do you thank Jacob for doing the dishes tonight? He said, well, it's his job. It's his night to do dishes. I know, I said, but you ate them and he cleaned them up and he did a good job. Go in there and tell him thanks. He said, Jacob, thank you for doing the dishes tonight. Mentor it, mentor it. Model it, mentor it, and mold it. Turn your home into a place of gratitude. Thanksgiving. Say it, model it, mentor it, mold it. Make it a natural part of your life. Did you know that the issue of homosexuality in Romans chapter 1 is traced back to being unthankful? You can read that when you go home. I don't have time to preach on that. You can read that when you go home. i got to close. But you can read that when you go home. You can. You can go home and read that because it, 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 it's tied to being unthankful. God, God has a plan for your life and he's been good to your life and he's blessed you. Moms and dads, what in the world does a happy Christian home look like? Well, I've tried to show you Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday night. And if you were straight up honest with God, what would you have to, to work on, change, add, alter to have this kind of, kind of home? Would there be a DVD that you ought to throw away? Well, then man up and throw it away. Would there be... 
an investment of sitting down tonight and talking to your kids about the dangers of the Internet and, and taking their phone. My, my kids have passcodes on their phone, but I know the passcode. I paid for that phone. I own that phone. I pay the monthly bill. It's my phone. I let you use it. If I want to look up what you're looking at, I know the passcode. Now, I'm not mean about it. My kids have given me their heart about it because we've worked on this for a long time. My kids, every Monday, my, my kids and I text. Anything you're struggling with? That's what we did today. Early this morning, I had devotions. I prayed, and I sent my kids a text individually. I've been praying for you this past week that you're walking in the Spirit. Anything you're struggling with that we ought to pray about that I could help you with? One of my sons said to me recently, Dad, I was on Kindle the other day and I saw a book. It had a bad picture on the the cover. My thought life has struggled this week. He and I, I said, let's meet and pray about it. I met and I prayed with him, loved him, encouraged him. He gave me his iPad and asked me to take Kendall off. Just go ahead and take it off, Daddy. Because I don't want that to happen again. It doesn't happen overnight, church. It happens because you're pursuing a godly home. Talk to your kids. Talk to each other. Pray tonight. It's time to go. We can't go without praying, can we? We can't go without praying. Are you, are you by your spouse? Would the two of you have a word of prayer together? And just Would you pray like this tonight? Maybe with your sister, your brother, or, or your friend that's by you. And if you can't, don't anybody else, just pray by yourself. But would you take a moment and pray like this tonight? God, I want to have a Christian home. And give me the wisdom to handle these things. Give me the wisdom to grow. Help me, God. Help our home. Help our children. Help our grandchildren. Could you pray like that tonight before we go? Would you? Would you do that? It's Monday night. Maybe you're like my dad. You're sitting in a Monday night service and not on your way to heaven. But you could be because Jesus Christ died for your sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. And I'm going to ask a pianist in a second to play a couple of verses of a hymn. And uh, we're going to pray. And if you'd like to know you're going to heaven on a Monday night, you come see me and I'll get a counselor to help you know tonight that you're going to heaven.